0: Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See bball B ball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: Welcome to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. Joined, as always, by Sean Martin. You can follow him on Twitter at SeanMartinNFL. How are you doing, Sean?
2: Hey, I'm doing great, everybody. Uh, have a good weekend here in Austin. Thanks to everyone that joins in on our Twitter spaces that we do before the show. For those that don't know, we are live at 30 minutes before we take this show on Sunday nights on Twitter. And we can uh, talk with the yeah, fans definitely. there Yeah, definitely.
1: Well. We love doing it because it just provides an opportunity to, to get going when it goes when it comes to football. And you know, we've got a loaded show tonight. Looking forward to talking about it. Hey, be sure to subscribe to the Hidden Yardage Podcast on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. We're part of the Blog and the Boys podcast network. And you can follow me on Twitter at the real Mark Lane. So Sean, with the comments this week during second week of OTAs, you have Ezekiel Elliott talking about how he's only focused on this year, not so much the future. You also have Tony Pollard entering the final year of his contract. Do you foresee a reset coming at quarterback in the 2023
2: offseason? It would certainly fit the theme of other moves that they've made this offseason. You've called you know kind of the direction of disaster – a maybe-win-now type of mode, and that would certainly extend into next year if they, you know, make some moves where they would be less stable at running back because of it. Right now they have a lot of confidence in Ezekiel Elliott, and that's never wavered, you know, through everything he's been through and the ups and downs. So they still expect Ezekiel Elliott to be a huge part of his offense. Of course they've lost a lot at receiver, so they might need him to be. And they have a potential out from his contract, though, you know, if things don't go the way they're potentially planning for Ezekiel Elliott, And the same, of course, goes for Tony Pollard going into this year on a contract year. You know, there's two ways to look at it, I think, with Pollard. He could either be the guy who still gets underutilized and they don't do enough with him to the point where you almost feel like you have to move on if you're agency because you can't justify a price tag for a player you're not even utilizing and you're going to keep going with Ezekiel Elliott or whatever the plan beyond him might be. Or, and I think this is more likely at this point right now, with what we're hearing about these wide receivers, you're going to be forced to use Tony Pollard in that role that we've all been kind of begging for where he's going to be that backfield passing threat and he's going to line up in the saw and he's going to be swing passes and all that. You're going to be forced to do those things with him and it maybe still you'll lose him in free agency because he's been valuable, but at least you see you know a full year's worth of him being that valuable type of running back and not disappearing for you know a couple of games. Yeah, at a and breath.
1: with Elliott, you talk about the potential out in the 2023 offseason. You would eat... Eleven point eight six million in dead money, according to over the cap. But you would save four point eight million dollars uh, in in cap savings. Uh, like I said, I mean that's a potential because at that point his salary is not guaranteed. But you know that's just it would he would have to have a really bad season. In I'm talking the 700-yard range and the 4.0 range.
2: Yeah, I think they're really expecting Tyler Smith to be a guy who can – Yeah,
1: it it would have to be really bad. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you think about what drafting Zach Martin did for DeMarco Murray, I think they're they're thinking that Tyler Smith can have that same type of effect for Elliott. Although he hasn't gotten all of his work at guard, so it's kind of interesting to see that. But, you know, maybe he's a tackle for the future. But right now I think – he can be that kind of guard who really gets Elliott going. So if he he doesn't produce and he's all the way down there, you know, in the 700-yard range, like you said. then Yeah, I think that's what would trigger
1: the Cowboys to do something like that because it's really kind of eating a contract at that point, which I guess would satisfy a lot of people to say that they were right about the Cowboys doing something wrong. You know, how come people who have big tip jars about their predictions being right never make good predictions? Like, I think you should have your – tip jar deducted if all you're going to do is make bad (laughs) predictions and then the tip jar fills it make a good prediction for once
2: it's always easier to predict something bad right and then just expect it to happen when something good happens people don't people don't think back to like oh this is so and so called it. they just like reacting to good things that happen but when everything's bad you got to point the finger and then there's that one guy who stands up from the back of the crowd It's like, well, I called this. It's oh, like one I know. Minute.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, the the entropy of the universe. You know, so what? It's all going to fold in on itself anyway at the end. So big deal. The universe is ending. But with before <laughs> the universe ends...
2: What if the sun is going to be there for right, like five will, billion but, years you know, or whatever? In
1: year five billion and one, uh, it, the sun's going to explode. But before then... Tony Pollard will enter the final year of his contract in 2022, and I think Dallas ought to load up on him like they did DeMarco Murray in 2014, last year of his contract. I think Dallas should do that with Pollard and look to maximize his touches, look to use him in the passing game, just try to find ways to get him the ball. And he has been in receiver meeting rooms So they are trying to find ways to uh, get him more involved in the offense, but I really think just uh, to help the team and really to help Pollard make his case for other NFL teams who want to give a second contract to a veteran running back, um, they ought to load up Pollard and really go all in on him. And I think that that's what this opportunity presents In 2022 is a chance to evaluate, is Tony Pollard the guy and you let Zeke go or do you let them both go? Or do you, would you even entertain, would you even dare keeping both of them in 2023? I I don't know. It would really have to depend on what kind of season Pollard had.
2: Yeah, and offensive trends can happen quickly in this league and you know they will throughout this upcoming season again, of course, but you know, one thing that's the hot kind of buzzword right now that every offense needs is oh everybody needs a Debu Samuel type player, right? You know, they watch what Debu did all year. They watch what he of course did in the wildcard game against the Cowboys defense, who had the challenge of trying to slow him down and of course they didn't when he had that big touchdown to really pad the forty ers lead and make it very hard on that Cowboys comeback effort that fell short. But you know everybody needs a Debo Samuel type of player, and you know it doesn't exclude the Cowboys from maybe they could have done more to get that type of player. But certainly they could point us towards Tony Pollard and say we have that guy. You know they have to ask both Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy how they can get more production out of him, like you're calling for. And I think that will happen this year. But yeah, you could have that Debu Samuel type of role for a player like Pollard. And then you throw in, you know, the idea that C. Lamb and Jalen Tolbert can maybe do a couple of those things as well, as far as short passes and jet sweeps and all that. And you will have that role on this year's offense without spending big in free agency. But then you could have to then spend you know to keep Pollard around, or you could have to spend to keep, you know, an, uh, to go get another another running back that can be the Ezekiel Elliott to Tony Pollard as far as that pass catcher and coming out of the slot. So yeah, you're calling for you know something that Cowboys fans have been asking for a while in terms of getting the ball to Tony Pollard more and to be the optimist for a second. Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of Yeah, that, and I assume.
1: think it would also help Elliott too to make sure that he doesn't have any more mileage put on him. You can instead, like I said, put that on Tony Pollard and then Pollard goes out and earns a second contract elsewhere. I don't know that Dallas would keep him uh, no matter the kind of gear that he had. Um, but it's interesting you mentioned Tyler Smith, and apropos to drafting Zach Martin, help to Marco Murray, Tyler Smith, they drafted him, and is he going to help Ezekiel Elliott? Now, they've been playing him at guard, Sean, and that's probably where he's going to end up, left guard, the heir apparent, uh, the replacement for Connor Williams, but in the second week of OTAs, they were practicing Tyler Smith at left tackle. First team left tackle. Now, you know, you got Tyron Smith who's dealing with the back thing. They don't want to overdo it. I understand that. But they still practiced him at left tackle. Do you think that the Cowboys will deploy, tackle Tyler Smith at any point this season? I'm not talking about just to get through a game or something like that. I'm talking about... They go into the game week and Tyler Smith is going to be the left tackle or even the right tackle because of availability issues. Do you think we see that this year?
3: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team.
2: I really do at this point and that's not to be taken as an overreaction to just the fact that he's getting those early practice reps at tackle because the Cowboys told us they were going to do that you know they said they were kind of unspecific about it but they said you know it'd be a mix between where he works and we'll find the time when it makes the most sense to just get the muscle memory going and tackle but you know I think the bigger thing is his his best trait where you can hang your hat on as far as him being a first round pick which you know, the Cowboys will tell you that another team would have made him a first-round pick if not them. But you were getting down towards the end of the first round there. A lot of teams didn't have first-round players left on their board. And here come the Cowboys exclaiming that they got, you know, a first-round player on their board all the way down there at 24 of Smith. So if he's going to live up to that hype, his best trait is that run-blocking ability, the ability to go get out in space, dig out smaller defenders, get to those linebackers and toss them around a little bit. That's where his highlights are. And that's what he's gonna to try to do, you know, on a more consistent basis if he's gonna make it here. But I think that work has to start now and be more, you know, steady if that's always gonna be doing at a at, at a high level at the guard position. If you're gonna work him at tackle, you know, I think you're asking too much too soon to be the swing type of player. He already played tackle in college, he knows you know the basics. When it comes to asking him to do more and put that polish on him to be an NFL starter, you can do that when you need him to actually replace Tyron Smith. But and as far as practicing at both and trying to make sure he's a high-level player at both this early on, I think it means that we're going to see him play some tackle. Uh, and as to soon clarify, this you
1: season. mean starter at tackle?
2: Well, yeah, I think you'll go into a game week where maybe Tyron Smith isn't already ruled out you know, Early in the week, but like we get that Monday, Tuesday update where he's or even he's probably the Jerry doubtful. interruption on the radio. That in the week That's always like, oh, good maybe too, you know, yeah, exactly. We'll get, we'll get that vague kind of like, oh, maybe they could do some miracle to Tyron on game day, and everything will be great. You know, Tyra Smith has been this awesome left guard to this point, let's say. And you're gonna be you're gonna keep the two next to each other for a big game, and then we hear you know, Saturday going into Sunday. Oh, it's not gonna be Tyron Smith and now you know the carousel gets started and Tyron Smith has to go out and who plays left guard in that case and the center position, you know, they have a lot to evaluate with Beatis and who knows what Terrence Steele is gonna be and you know the questions just go up and down this offensive line all around Zach Martin. But if you can go from left to right, Smith, Beatis, picking up where he left off last year and then Martin, you know, you certainly have a much better interior yeah, and, and that's important I think to this
1: that what they talked about was Zach Martin in 2020 because he was a right guard. They kicked him out to right tackle due to the availability issues in 2020. But what they talked about was if you do that, you're really messing with two positions to fix one. And I think that might be where the Cowboys don't want to put Tyler Smith is in a position where they're ruining two positions to try to fix one. But, it, it really comes down to, is Connor McGovern as good of a left guard for you to then kick out Tyler Smith to left tackle because Matt Wiletsko and Josh Ball aren't good enough replacements to just be your swing tackle? I think that would be the issue. And then I think that really says more to the tackle depth Brian, than anything else.
2: Yeah, at least like you know, this time of year, the tackle depth is intriguing, right? We're all looking for things to write about and talk about with this team. And there's like some names at tackle that we don't really know who they are. So that's why there's some intrigue to like, well, you know, this time of year, again, maybe he could be something because why not talk about who could make this roster? They have the extra space right now. And as we get going, they'll have to think about cutting down. And we'll, of course, cover out at blogintheboys.com. But, you know, you look at tackle, Josh Ball, Matt Oletzko, those are the names as far as guys who – maybe can prove that they're ready to take some snaps. And that would be a great outcome, especially if Ball who's already been in the program for a year here uh, as one of last, as one of last year's draft picks. But yeah, at guard, I mean, it's just non-existent in terms of guys that even have that potential. They had the chance to make McGovern a start of this off season if they wanted to, of course, and they made it pretty clear when they drafted Smith that that wasn't their intention. They could have even tried to negotiate with Connor Williams if they didn't want anything to do with Connor McGovern being the left guard and that didn't happen. So they had a plan for a new left guard that wasn't currently on the roster, and that's going to be Smith. We all hope and think uh, on day one, and McGovern will just be a backup. Type yeah, they, of player. and
1: really, they can't figure anything out until training camp. And Mike McCarthy said it that you can have guys that are doing great in the offseason workouts, then they just disappear when they get to training camp. So, and for the offensive line, they got to hit people, and right now they they can't hit. You're looking more at the mental aspect of the game, whether they understand their assignments, a little bit of the athleticism, I guess, for the tackles and kicking out. So they won't really get to make that evaluation. I think they just wanted to see how Tyler Smith looked at left tackle mentally. And, I, you know, just so, and also McCarthy talked about the position flex. It's something Will McClay and McCarthy talk about all the time is – the position flex because you've got a 53 man game day roster and you got your activations through about, you know, 45. So you want guys that can play multiple positions. And I think that's what they wanted to see with Tyler Smith. And uh, yeah, I, I do. I think it's a, it's bad if Tyler Smith is at any point, the starting left tackle, because it means that they didn't solve the swing tackle issue. And for the Cowboys, when they've had good seasons, they've had the swing tackle issue solved. Take, for example, in 2009, it was Doug Free filled in a right tackle for Mark Colombo, and they win a playoff game. Go to 2014, um, they had Jeremy Parnell, and he filled in for Doug Free at right tackle when he had to. You go to 2016, and when Tyron Smith had to miss some time, you had Emmett Cleary. Um, so I think that the left, if the swing tackle – is really one of those positions like slot corner doesn't get talked about enough, but if you've got a real key one, a real dependable one, I think it it's it really speaks to where you can go in that particular season.
2: And that was part of the criticism of the Tyler Smith pick is, you know, to your point, the Cowboys had their years where the offensive line was dominant and it's because of all those components. Of course, the five starters – were all very good and in the primes of their career, and then you had backups if you needed them that could also perform at a high level. So they had their chance during those years to continue adding that depth and make sure it wasn't going to get you know to kind of the low point that it's hit at times. Let's say this past season with Dak Prescott, you know, really being under duress and facing pressure right up the middle from these guards and center not being able to hold up. So they had the years where that wasn't the case, and you could have added then, you know, maybe a player like Smith and sell it as, you know, he's our deaf guy moving forward. Here's where he can start right away as a first-round pick, but here's the plan for him. They weren't necessarily at that point going into this year's draft. They had a clear need for left guard, and maybe, you know, you take a player who is already a collegiate guard so he can step in uh, much easier to do that because of the way they created that void this offseason. So you had to need a guard. There was talks of upgrading center still. And then, of course, in the back of your mind, you should still have, The long-term answers to tackle for you, but they tried to kind of package it all into one, and say, "Oh well, we we do have a day one guard, and we we address tackle." But I don't know if this was the right you know time to be messing with that, as far as your continuity and all that up front. We've talked about that as well. So, yeah, it's hard to say that you know Smith is going to really be ready to play tackle this year, but if he turns out to be a great left guard, and that's well, someone who's
1: definitely going to be ready to play is Micah Parsons as the reigning. NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year, enters his second year in the league. And he had phenomenal stats, whether you're talking about sacks, forced fumbles. I mean, he really was. He was just the defense's version of a utility player. It was crazy. But now that he enters year two, what do you think is going to define a successful sophomore campaign for Michael Parsons? Is it going to be stats? In other words, he has the 20 sacks like he has with the bet with DeMarcus Lawrence? Or is it going to be something else? What are you looking for?
2: I think, honestly, just more of the same. I mean, he dipped his toes in so many different elements of this Cowboys defense and passed you know, every test of flying colors. I mean, this is a player that... You know, we're talking about how Tyler Smith is being used and that kind of being a, a red flag. And person started practicing. He he kind of went through the same thing because they were asking a whole bunch of them. We were all like, man, is this guy really ready for this? Like, why is, you know, a linebacker having to also get reps at defensive end and do all this? And, of course, we had no idea that not only was he ready, but he would excel at all of those positions. So, you know, more of the same doing that. I think one thing you still look for him to add to his game is uh, maybe being able to disguise his pass rushes a little bit better. I think he kind of gave away, you know, with kind of some of his pre-snap motions when he was coming after the quarterback and his closing speed more than makes up for it. You know, I can't tell, tell you how many times we watched a quarterback roll out of the pocket, thinking that Parsons was, you know, way far away to get to him and they'd have time to plant and throw. and Parsons just closes on him in no time to force a fumble and make a big play, so – certainly doing more of that in his pass rush, but being able to disguise it more, walk around more, you know, line up in different positions and still get to the quarterback. Uh, that's a part of his game to keep an eye on. But yeah, besides that, definitely just more of the same um, when it comes to him being, you know, Dan Quinn's chess piece matchup type of player. You have a lot of those. You have a J-Ron Coase, who lines up in a box down there as well. Sam Williams is a rookie that Quinn likes a lot who can line up all over the place. George Armstrong moves around a bit and he got Parsons in there as well.
1: Yeah, and with Parsons, like you said, he really showcased a lot of his athleticism. I think if he can have plays that indicate his intelligence and understanding of the game, that's going to really demonstrate his growth as a player. Because, I mean, let's just take, for example, Des Bryant. I mean, he was freakish. And he set the Cowboys' single season record for touchdowns in 2014. I mean, his athleticism was undeniable. But he never really melded the intellectual side of the game. And it so he didn't have that staying power once his athleticism started to decline a little bit. So if you can start seeing Parsons understanding of the game in year two you know how he processes and like you talked about not giving away that he's coming on a blitz if he can just add the intellectual side to the game and not rely too much on his athleticism to cover for mistakes and so forth then i think that's going to be the the definition of improvement I think that's what's going to show Cowboys fans that you really have the identity of the defense. You have a superstar on defense. And another way that I think Parsons, uh, this is, I mean, maybe year two is a little too early to want to see it out of him, but, you know, elite players have a way of elevating the play of those around them. And so if Parsons is just doing his job, but the the stats aren't there, but the stats are somewhere else, let's take, for example, the sacks. What if, because of all the attention on Parsons and everything, Dorrance Armstrong finally explodes, and then he has the 10 sacks? Um, What if, when Parsons is dropping back in coverage and all this kind of stuff, uh, you know, J. Ron Curse and Malik Hooker, take advantage, and then they get the pass breakups and the interceptions. And they have a career year. Uh, I think that if the rest of the defense is able to benefit from the attention that Parsons is going to get this season, I I, I would have to give that as as a credit to Micah. Yeah, and that goes both ways. You know,
2: there's players that, might benefit from playing with with Parsons. Of course, you know, right, even right next to him at the line, at the other linebacker spot is kind of an open competition. Leighton Vanderes has a case to continue to get snaps. He ended the year well. He's a veteran player the Cowboys are familiar with, and they re-signed him. So, you know, you could see some Vanderes and Parsons together, but also Jabril Cox is going to get an opportunity there. And you have, you know, Coase who plays down in the box. I already mentioned him. So that kind of gives you an extra linebacker on the field at all times when he's out there technically playing safety and technically playing linebacker at the same time. So he can elevate those guys that he's playing next to. But also there's other players that can help, you know, Parsons as a pass rusher, as a coverage player. You talk about in there at defensive tackle. Do you have those guys who can keep offensive alignment from climbing up to the second level and getting the Parsons and talking about those run stuffer type players like a Carlos Lockins or they drafted a, a John Ridgway out of Arkansas. You know, so can those guys help Parsons as much as Parsons it's going to help some of the other younger players as he becomes more of a vocal leader and just a physical uh, leader out there for Quincy. It'll defense. be
1: exciting to see for sure. And, and again, with Parsons and the position he plays, you don't really need to wait till training camp like you do Tyler Smith. You can see just right away in the offseason program the type of progress that he's having. All right, Sean, let's go ahead and get to Cowboys' birthdays for this week. On Monday, turning 59 years old, is Bill Bates, the undrafted safety from Tennessee, played with the Cowboys from 1983 to 1997, and he won three Super Bowls in the process. He was one of the players that Brad Sham mentioned as the Cowboys were beating and on their way to walloping the Bills 52 to 17 in Super Bowl 27. He was one of the players Brad Sham mentioned on the Cowboys Radio Network broadcast of guys that had just been with the organization through the crumminess of the 80s and were finally getting their Super Bowl. Bill Bates turns 59 years old on Monday. Also, on Thursday, someone who played with Bill Bates, Michael Downs, he was a member of Thurman's Thieves, same as Bill Bates. He played with Dallas from 1981 to 88, so he retired after the crumminess of Tom Landry's final season, a 3-13 finish. Michael Downs turns 63 years old on Friday. Anthony Hitchens, the linebacker that got away, turns 30 years old. He's with Dallas from 2014 to 2017. <laughs> like I said, when he won a Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs in 2019. Well, you know, that just shows you.
2: It was pretty amazing to watch what he did. He did with the Chiefs. He definitely, you know, found a new form or maybe a change of scenery was just good for him. That does happen in this league, of course. So, yeah, he definitely found a gear to his game, and uh, that the Kansas City defense got the most out of, and he certainly yeah, played and well.
1: Like I said, the top two tacklers on the Chiefs' defense in 2019, Anthony Hitchens and Damien Wilson, both former Cowboys linebackers. Yes, yes. Now there's the, the one Ruidge. that got away. Cue the Ruidge. Uh, also on Friday, Dorrance Armstrong, defensive end, he <laughs> turns 25 years old. Is that how many sacks he's going to get this year?
2: No, because Parsons would have 26 right, yeah. then, right? But Parsons wants that uh, the sack lead again this year. and You're going at it with DeMarcus Lawrence, of course. The Cowboys can hope both of them are productive. To the Cowboys' credit, though, I actually think, you know, I know that's an unpopular thing to right, say. Right, to the Cowboys' we've credit. We've even hit it on it on I this mean, episode you know, as, far as Let's just say you know, how we're much
1: rooting you, for the asteroid.
2: It's so much more popular and fun to just bash everything, yeah. But, you know, they, to their credit, they, they put a lot of faith in players who haven't exactly proven that they deserve that yet. But with Armstrong, you know, I'll drink the Kool Aid a little bit. With Armstrong, I do think that uh, they are going to get a pretty good player this season. And, you know, I think Quinn has a plan for him as far as kind of helping him move around and draw attention away from him so he can use that speed and some of those power rushes as well. So, yeah, I really do have some pretty high expectations for Armstrong this season that I think he's going to live up to trying to replace yeah, Parson, uh, on
1: Armstrong's on this defense. to the point where he's seen enough of the game, but he still has relative youth that he could meld it together and have a really productive season, especially considering... He's probably going to see single co- coverage a lot. you know, he's not going to see a lot of double teams, let's say. So he should be able to take advantage of it, you figure.
2: Yeah, he'd have to earn those du- those double team blocks you know as the season goes on. but right now, you know offensive coordinators that are looking at what Dan Quinn did last year to try to see what they're going up against this year when the Cowboys come up on the schedule are going to be lucky at guys like Lawrence and Parsons and Armstrong. You know, made some fast plays. You better know where he is. That's why I'm saying Quinn can move him around and help disguise him to get those pass horses off. But yeah, you do have to account for him, but he's still going to have those one-on-one reps against some tackles. And I think he can win uh, at a pretty good finally rate. Finally
1: on Friday, what should have been Marion Barber's 39th birthday, but instead the uh, former Cowboys Pro Bowl running back passed away. Last week, he was found dead in his Frisco apartment at the age of 39 years old, and it was quite a shock to see that on Twitter, and you you just hope that there was some misinformation or that it wasn't true, but unfortunately, uh, Marion Barber gone at the age of 38.
2: Yeah, I always like to defer to, you know, those that actually coached with and worked with and lived with any of these players or former coaches that passed away that we talk about when it comes to their comments because you know those are the ones who lived this, like I said, and the ones who can really uh, sum it up much better than I think I can. And so, as far as tributes to Marion Barber go, I think the one that stuck with me the most so far is uh, Bill Parcells saying that he was almost a perfect player because his playing days are were- Somewhat before, or somewhat before I really got into the game as much as I am now, I would watch the Cowboys, but I didn't really have that full like grasp of who everybody was on the roster yet, or how it was all coming together. But yet, I always knew Marion Barber, and maybe that's because, like Barcel said, he was the perfect player. He was just called on to do his job. You would hear, you know, you would see Romo turn around and hand the ball off, and the announcer would say, you know, hand off to Barber, and they did that over and over and over again. He would get better as the game went on he could also catch passes and block and, you know, the injuries were never really a thing with him. You could just count on him. So yeah, definitely a player that, uh, you know, did so much great work here in Dallas and was unfortunately struggling with some other things in life that, um, you know, he had help with from the Cowboys community as well. And that's why that whole community was uh, you know pretty public and reaching out about feeling the, the sadness and the tragic news of his death because it was much too soon. And it was a player that, Really gave us all for the Cowboys for a very long period of time.
1: And Skip Pete, his former running backs coach um, from 2007 to, to until Barber left the team in 2010, said that uh, he, that he had a chance to talk to Barber and that one of the most interesting conversations he had with him was when they were in LA and they talked about watching games and Pete and Barber talked about the different play styles of certain players and that Barber could see some of the things he was talking about and he could see it in some of the players that he watched and just having those conversations about football with Marion Barber. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's... we look at these guys as football players as only one thing but you know to have the the book close at 38 years old you know you just it, it's a tragedy cuz there was so much left to be written about Marion Barber the 3rd you know and and to just see it gone at 38
2: yeah, I mean Jerry Jones has Jerry has every right. Yeah, Jerry has every right in the world to, you know, boast about how the fact that playing for or coaching with or working with the Cowboys in any way is, you know, a springboard to do really anything you want when you're done with the Cowboys. So Barber's been out of the league for some time, but to have that, you know, former Cowboys running back name that people would would recognize, there certainly would have been opportunity for him. Uh, to continue to go out and, you know, live his life post-football, which people don't think about because there's a whole new class of football players for us to talk about. And that's all it is. is—is just, you know, new players cycling in and out and that's all we have to pay attention to as fans. But you forget about some of these guys. And unfortunately the only way that you hear their name again, once they're retired is if they, you know, they do something wrong or they pass away. So that that was unfortunately the case with Barber here and 38 is yeah, too
1: young. Yeah. And- just to, as a football player, uh, it was so fun to see him barrel over guys and just run into them, lower his head. Uh, it it was it was remarkable, and he was part of that the thirteen Pro Bowlers that uh, the Cowboys sent after the two thousand and seven season, and he earned it. I mean, because he was he was. He knew how to score touchdowns. He had a nose for the end zone. So um Yeah. Marion Barber.
2: Well, um And that style of running back was kinda of, was kind of getting phased out before, you know, just as he was leaving the league with the Chicago Bears, you know, you didn't really see those types of bruising type of backs so that could get into the end zone and the goal line situation type of play but you know the Cowboys squeezed every bit of production out of them that they could I mean they, they made that offense work and paved holes for him to just go be yeah what it really certainly was. was
1: it certainly was Sean well we're gonna go ahead and get out of here you've been listening to the Hidden Yardage podcast subscribe to us on Apple Spotify tune in and Stitcher follow me on Twitter at the real Mark Lane follow Sean at Sean Martin NFL and uh Join the conversation and ask him how my quest to get a pork roll with on cheddar cheese with fried egg, bacon, no pickles, and ketchup sandwiches going.
2: <laughs> I hope when you get it, you order it exactly. Right? Like and it. and
1: have this the sheet of paper and everything that says you to... that you know has all the prompts and everything too. Just carry that with me to New
2: Jersey. Yeah, carry it with you, read it out to the waitress and just let me know how she a re- waiter or waitress and just let me know how she reacts and uh, you know, like so, so we'll probably ask if this is your first time having it or if you're from the area or something like that. But yeah, there's there's any number of good places you can go for it. So I'm not worried about that in terms of you picking the wrong spot. But yeah, we gotta see uh, we gotta see how yeah, this goes I got so excited for the
1: update. I gotta see if I uh, can go updates to cover come. Jason Garrett's Starfish charities camp and then that's when I'll have the sandwich
2: and shout out to current Cowboy quarterback Dak Prescott of course and former Cowboys tight end Jason Witten they were on stage we're recording this on Sunday night for those listening they were on stage last night then Saturday in Dallas with Kenny Chesney who was playing uh, down in the Houston area earlier in the week and in his big stadium shows all on Saturdays this year to so Cowboy Stadium, AT&T Stadium it was, on Saturday. And he had Jason Witten and Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy on stage with him. Witten signed a young fan's Jason Witten jersey. And I believe he got a helmet as well that maybe Kenny signed. So that fan has a memory he'll remember for the rest of his life as far as uh, getting to meet some of his former uh, Cowboys idols and as well as hopefully the music and the concert as well. So I'm scheduled to go see Chesney uh, later on in the summer. and I don't know if any former Cowboys will be coming on stage, but when he played in AT&T Stadium, you had Dak McAfee and Jason Witten. Yeah, definitely.
1: It was cool to see them make that that kid's uh, night. You've been listening to the Hidden Yardage Podcast, so there it is.